Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm Dr. Blake Williams. Today I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Dara White, founder of Sky Vision Centers in Westlake, Ohio. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Priya Gupta, who recently joined the ranks as a private practitioner with her practice, Triangle Eye Consultants in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina. Daryl and I share experiences and the many reasons for going into private practice, and Priya talks about her journey to founding a private practice of her own. She discusses her decision to leave academia, why she decided to take a leap of faith on her own, and the importance of setting expectations when you're first starting out. More of her story coming up on Off the Grid. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm your host, Dr. Blake Williamson, and I am here with my new co-host for the next three episodes. I'm so pumped about this. You know, do you ever for you guys listening, do you ever, um, you know, meet someone uh, that you instantly recognize is a little better or a lot better at just about everything that you do when it comes to podcasting? I mean, the guy's got the voice, he's got the gravitas, he's got the content, um, he's kind of got it all, and I've admired him from afar and from up close uh, over the past five years, and it's amazing to me that it's taken this long for me to wrangle him into doing this with me. Um, but, uh, my guy from Ohio, Dr. Daryl White, Daryl, how are you doing? Blake, I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to recover here. I need time to, to pull out my, my napkins and, and dab my eyes. I mean, that, that was, that was one of the nicest introductions I've, I've ever had. Thank you very much. I, you know, I was telling someone asked me what I was doing tonight. And I said, well, so there's this, there's these two of the really cool kids invited me to come to their, their party tonight. And I don't know why they want to hang out with me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like the silver fox. I'm in the old dude, you know, and I'm it's almost ready to be put out to pasture and here, you know, the cool kids said, Hey dude, come on out and play. So thank you, Blake. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I remember being, I remember being in Mexico uh, for Thanksgiving and, uh, and I was listening to your podcast. I think it was on 50 second lasers or something like that. And uh, the kids were trying to talk to me. My wife was trying to talk to me. And I was like texting you how much I love the podcast. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, I'm just texting uh, Daryl about his podcast. So she was like, we're in Mexico and it's Thanksgiving. Like, what's what's wrong with you? You know, and that's when I knew I had to get you on the podcast. So I'm so glad to have you on uh, hosting with me for the next three episodes. And the first thing we talked about with topics is, you know, sort of making the case for private practice. And you said, we got to get Priya. And I was like, well, we probably can't get Priya. Priya's busy. But we're going to try to get her in, and 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 for a lot of reasons that we're going to learn about tonight. But maybe introduce sort of um, the topic and introduce our, our our guest for tonight. Well, I am I am thrilled to introduce Priya Gupta, who has recently joined the ranks of the private practitioners, and uh, one of the great joys of having gotten back into consulting and speaking for me has been meeting. Uh, Priya, we we met, oh golly, seven eight years ago, 
just before a meeting with Shire when we were doing the Zyder project. And our mutual friend, Bob Dempsey, had said to me, Daryl, Daryl, you're not going to believe this. I got Priya. Priya is going to come and she's going to talk to us. It's just, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's going to be such a wicked pisser. I can't believe that we got here. And so I bumped into Priya at the, after the reception. We may or may not have been at the bar having a drink. And I, I told her, Bob, is so good to see you. And she's looking at who the hell is this old dude? And over the last, you know, seven or eight years, we've had a ton of chances to, to get together. And during her journey, thinking about going to private practice, I was so very flattered that she reached out and asked some questions. So let me introduce my, my great good friend and Blake's great good friend, Priya Gupta, uh, late of Duke University and now in the vanguard of private practice in North Carolina. Priya. Thank you guys. Gosh, what a great introduction. Um, and, you know, Blake, when you were talking about, you know, when someone, when you meet someone and they just do everything like so much better, I was like, oh man, I'm thinking about the two of you. You guys are the, the kings of podcasting and um, I'm honored to be here tonight. Thanks. Well, awesome. Well, let's, let's kick it off. We, um, we're living in a world which is so very, very different from when I went into practice. And, and Blake, your dad and I are, are pretty close in age. And so we entered practice at similar times and similar eras. And when I went into practice, 80% of ophthalmologists were actually private practitioners. Some of them were lone wolves. Many of us were in practices that were of varying different sizes, but almost nobody was in anything that you would think of as a corporate group. And the people who were not in private practice were in academia. And over the years, things have changed dramatically in the world as a whole. But for those people in private practice, it really hasn't changed a whole lot. And the biggest question that I have really doesn't apply to you guys. And it's to the folks who, for whatever reason, have left private practice. I'm thinking, you know, you're leaving the Garden of Eden. Why are you going? Where are you going? What are you doing? So uh, let me start off, Blake, with you, because you've been in private practice for six years now, if I remember correctly. And you had all kinds of options when you left your, your residency, but you had a really cool option because you had a family connection and a really, really deep tie to the area. So walk Priya and me through the decision-making process. Walk us through a little bit of how you made something which everybody in the outside probably looks at as just, oh, of course, what else is we going to do? But it had to be more complex than that. Give us a give us a little Reader's Digest view of, of what that process was like. Yeah, I mean, I've talked a lot about this in the past. I had, I had a bit of a, a rocky start in high school. I had a problem with authority, believe it or not. Um, and, and I went to, you know, Shocking. a few. Shocking. Yeah. I went to three high schools in four years. Um, I, I graduated with a, with a 3.8 GPA. So I always had good you know, grades, but, but, uh, but otherwise had issues. And my dad sat me down after the second school and said, Hey man, we need to get you on a path or else like all this goes away. There's no car. There's no going out. There's no friends. There's no nothing. You need to be on a path towards success. It doesn't have to be medicine, but it just has to be something, you know, I need to see you growing and going towards a path of success. So I said, well, I guess I'll just be going to medical school. I just said that at the time just to appease him, of course. Um, but what I, what I found out is I continued that course through college and finally got through 
medical schools that ophthalmology was absolutely, you know, th- there was just nothing that touched it, you know? So, so, so for me, um, you know, I had open mind and, and believe it or not, even though I'm surrounded by ophthalmologists in my family, um, there's just nothing that, that, that came close. Um, the challenge that I had, if I'm being honest, is sort of the burden uh, of living uh, uh, under, underneath someone who casts a big shadow. Okay. Um, and how do I, um, how do I differentiate myself and not just, not just be my father's son, but be my own surgeon. Uh, and so for my first five years in practice, that's what it was all about. I busted my butt, um, you know, trying to do as, as many cases as I could, do as many studies as I could. Um, if I had speaking opportunities, I would try to do a great job with that. Um, networking, all those things just to kind of be, become my own man. Um, and, and sort of that, that's what I did. And I would say that private practice afforded me that opportunity. You know, if I was in a big, if I was at a place like Duke, for instance, which I'm sure Duke would never hire me, but if they would, uh, you know, there, there, there's so many amazing rock stars there. It's hard to kind of, to, to kind of plant your flag, right? Well, in private practice, I had the opportunity to do that. And it turns out if you do a lot of cases and do them well, you know, companies will want to work with you. Um, and if you can, if you can talk, you know, you know, talk a little bit about, about what the technologies are, well, even better. And so for me, that's kind of how I got my start. And I think private practice kind of afforded me those opportunities. Yeah, that, you know, great story. It's super, super story. So Priya, your, uh, your journey to private practice um, was different from Blake's and mine. I went straight into private practice after leaving NYU and really had no interest in being in academia. I had had my fill at, uh, maybe it's because I trained at Bellevue. You know, it's easy to get your fill of every, anything in a place like Bellevue. But after you finished your training, you started off going into academia. And I, and I wonder if you can share just a, a little bit of that, because it's a nice preamble to what everybody is going to learn. It's just a really, really great story of how you've you know, rejoined or joined our world. So what was the thought process when you finished training? And tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to Duke. Um, well, great question. So um, I spent the first almost uh, the first decade of my career in academics, actually. So um, I was a resident at Duke um, and then did my cornea and refractive fellowship with um, Minnesota Eye Consultants, you know, Dick Lindstrom, Tom Samuelson, Liz Davis. Dave Harden. Um, it's a shame you couldn't have gotten a better fellowship. You know, it, it, you had no idea that you had been so handicapped by your fellowship. Um, you know, you've overcome that, though. You've- <laughs> I lived at home for a year because I'm from Minnesota. Um, it was pretty, pretty funny to be like, uh, hey, mom and dad, are you guys ever coming back? Like, where, where are you guys? It's like 10 p.m. <laughs> but um, and then I joined the faculty at Duke. And, you know, I look at the first 10 years of my career um, very fondly. It was um, I would say, you know, some of the major mentors in my life actually came from fellowship and um, in fellowship, I feel like, you know, what I really loved is, you know, Minnesota Eye is a private practice that's so academically oriented, you know, they're involved with a multitude of clinical trials, they're, you know, on the, on the bleeding edge of new technology, et cetera. And so, you know, kind of in my mind, I've always had that as like, maybe an ideal environment um, where you, um, you know, have a nice mix of a robust clinical practice, some autonomy and independence, but still, you know, uh, a manageable enough like group of people. Um, So kind of that critical mass where everyone learns from one another. And, um, 
you know, I went, I went into academics and part of it was because, you know, of course I have a love of learning and, you know, my forte always was clinical medicine. And so a lot of the research I did was, um, clinically oriented research. And I think academics was great for me because it really allowed me to create, um, a niche for myself to, you know, in a supported way, develop an expertise. Um, and I think one of the nice things about academics is that collaborative environment. You know, you, you have residents, fellows, um, fellow attendings, different subspecialties. And so there's something very warm and inviting about an academic in institution and environment, um, certainly the first number of years of your career. And so, you know, that's kind of how I ended up in academics and, you know, in being in an environment where you're allowed to grow and change, I think is what kept me in academics for so long. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, maybe some of your um, ability to grow and change changes over time. Um, and that's ultimately what helped me um, kind of make a shift and um, change. And, you know, today I still am very academically involved. You know, we've only been out for a year, but we're, we're involved with clinical trials and clinical practice. And so I feel like I'm a step closer to, you know, kind of emulating some of my, my core mentors, um, and have been pleasantly surprised that, you know, yes, even though I'm doing this a decade later that, you know, I still love that environment and I love, um, being able to kind of be in that hybrid environment, if you will. That's awesome. Let's stay with the the, the beginning of our journeys, just for a couple of minutes, I actually have gone into private practice twice. I went into private practice right out of my residency, joined a group, ended up running the group, and then left the group and started cold. And my second entry into private practice was very much like your entry, Priya, where you left your previous practice home, yours happened to be academics. Mine was in a relatively large single specialty group, not unlike Blake's, not quite as big as, as Blake's, but similar to it. And then I went out on my own and I was, what was I? I was 45 when I did that. So a little older than you, a um, uh, lot older than you, much, much older than you, 45. Um, <laughs> Here you go, Daryl. <laughs> so those of you who are listening don't know that we can see each other. You can't see us. And the look of horror on Priya's voice when I, Priya's face when I said, you know, just a little older than you. Um, anyway. There's a few, but, right? Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I remember this, you know, going out the second time and feeling how different it was. Because when I launched the practice that we now call Sky Vision, I had no patients. I had no patient lists. I had no contracts. I was forbidden from contacting our prior, um, any of our relationships. And that was all contractual. And, and I knew that that was there. No, there was nothing uh, uh, devious or nefarious about that arrangement. And I, I went into the, the second launching of private practice with eyes open, knowing that. And it was a little bit daunting. And your entry into private practice is more like my second entry, whereas my first entry, Blake, was actually a lot like yours. I was going to an established practice, um, which was run by uh, my senior partner, who was 11 years older than I, brilliant uh, manager, brilliant, I mean, just, just a great business person, in addition to being a great surgeon. And then I was out on my own with a couple of optometrists. And it had to be daunting. 
Priya, thinking about it, you know, you were staying home just like I did and going into the community in a different role. What was it like emotionally? What did it feel like? I mean, we know the nuts and bolts, but, you know, share, what did you feel like when you were doing that? You know, Daryl, I think it's just someone, I, and I really wish I knew who said this to me, probably more than one person, because, you know, it, it requires hearing something more than once to have it stick in your brain. But, um, you know, hearing the phrase, if you don't take a leap on your a faith on yourself, who else are you going to take a leap of faith on? You know, that, that it really is a leap of faith, right? You don't, you don't know if you start a practice, if patients will come to you, you know, when you're leaving out of a institution, you often think like, oh, the institution you know, gave me my brand and my, um, you know, reputation, but really it's ultimately, you know, people come to see you because they like you, they trust you because you've done a good job or, you know, a referral or a friend. Um, and ultimately, you know, the emotion behind leaving is of course, you know, there's a sadness, like you're leaving something that you've known for a long time, but there's also a little bit of, um, you know, nervousness of like, you know, am, am I, am I good enough to do this? Like, is it going to work? And I think ultimately, I mean, this might sound bad, but like sort of not worrying about any of that is how I approached <laughs> the first, you know, four to six months, because I mean, it could be paralyzing, right? But like the ruminating of the, what if, or I got to do this, I got to do that. And at some point you just have to believe in yourself. Gosh, that sounds so cheesy, right? Oh, just believe in yourself. Like, but, but really you actually do just have to, you know, set some boundaries for yourself. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to measure success by X or Y, you know, and, and those could be small things. Like if I saw 10 patients today, I'm going to be super pumped, you know, or, you know, uh, if my staff is still really happy six weeks in, or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, setting, your expectations appropriately in the beginning, I think is really important just for yourself because, you know, we're all overachievers. We're all, you know, we all have friends and colleagues that are, you know, running these amazing practices and you kind of, you know, you have to resist the temptation to compare yourself to others and sort of create your own identity and your own version of what success is to you. Because, you know, some people leave because of financial implications. Some people leave because of autonomy. Some people leave because of, they want just different balance in their life. And so there isn't a right metric in my personal opinion. I think it really is something that you have to reflect upon to decide, Hey, what, what, you know, if you want to make a change, ask yourself why you want to make a change, what is it that you want to change? And if, you know, leaving and starting your own practice is the right answer, you have to have, you have to go into knowing, go into it, knowing what is going to make you happy because it's certainly not an easier path. You know, there, there's, there's many things that happen on a day-to-day -day basis that maybe, you know, if you're in an environment in a large group or you're not paying attention to those things. Yeah. It's, it's, I always tell people it's, it's the same amount of work. I'm just working on different things. And so, you know, you have to yourself decide what of those things is going to make you happy. Blake and I, I'm just going to say, Blake, you and I have talked about this. We've, we've talked about one of the beautiful things about private practice is that we get to not only achieve our professional goals and, and help our teammates, if we happen to be in a bigger practice, achieve their goals, but we also have a, a much greater opportunity to look within and decide what our personal goals are. Uh, and I know that you've had a change in, uh, not a change, but you, you've uh, reevaluated your goals over time. 
and have uh, kind of done a tiny little bit of a, a reset. And it's super cool that all three of us are in different types of private practices, but we all have the opportunity to be a little bit more self-directed as we set those priorities. Share with, uh, with Priya and me a little bit about how you started to think about the role of practice in your life as a whole, and also how being in private practice allowed you to just be a little bit more in control of that process, because it's a great story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when I first started out, I was doing a whole lot of consulting. You know, I feel like I was I was saying yes to many opportunities and, you know, wanted to certainly be out there. And, and now that I've become an owner of the practice and the surgery center, you know, that's all kind of shifted. And, and I find myself wanting to spend more time working on my business um, uh, as opposed to being out on the road. And, and I find myself doing, you know, less speaking engagements. Um, going to, to, to fewer conferences. I'm still going to quite a bit, don't get me wrong, but, but I'm, I'm being more selective and, and I'm, I'm only focusing on things that I truly uh, am passionate about. At the same time that I was getting busier and busier with our practice, I mean, from a business sense, you know, literally since I've started, we've gone from four locations to seven. Um, I've literally hired, you know, almost 50 more employees, we're up to 192 employees. Uh, and seven doctors uh, just just in the past five years, and so it's it's hard to balance all that, and you know try to be at every conference speaking about you know this lens or that MIGS device or whatever. So I've sort of readjusted and, and reevaluated what I find to be most important, and at the same time, you know having a family with three young kids, you know it's the real thing. Um, you know my kids are seven, three, and two, so it's like you know you'll be on a flight back home from you know, Frog Croak, Arkansas, uh, you know, don't get mad at me, Arkansas, I love you, Arkansas. And you're asking yourself, like, what am I doing? Why am I out there talking about some eye drop or whatever? So, so I've really kind of changed, you know, that, that in my life as well. Um, and private practice has allowed me to sort of do all these things and have those opportunities and opportunities for ASC ownership and, you know, hiring other doctors um, and other optometrists that we employ um, it is fun. It's really great. The entrepreneurial aspect of what we do at this point has become my singular focus, um, you know, running the actual business because it's a, it's a 24 seven job. As Priya just said, it's, it's not that you're, you know, you're spending just as much time. You're just doing other things. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at P and L sheets and, you know, you're, you're, you're doing HR and, and all that stuff that they don't teach us in med school. Uh, and it sounds like, oh, we, we can't do that. We're not trained to do that. But what you find after you do that for a short period of time is, in fact, you're, you, you, can, you can do it. Uh, oftentimes, the, the physician is, is, the, is, is, the sharpest, is the sharpest person in the room. Um, and so we have the opportunity um, and the expertise to do that uh, once you get your feet wet. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. In, in, uh in private practice version 1.0 for me, of course, I, I joined a, a very strong physician businessman and uh, didn't have the, uh, I guess, the obligation to be the only decision maker. Thankfully, there was a shared decision making atmosphere. So I was able to learn and grow. And I think joining uh, an established practice, Blake, you've probably had that opportunity and now are, are starting to uh, 
purposefully and voluntarily take on some of the the administrative roles, pre your situation is a little bit different. It's kind of like my version 2.0, where there it was just me and a very very small group of of very very dedicated and and loyal staff members, but it was very much a buck stops here kind of thing. It continues to be a buck stops here kind of thing. Did you, were you surprised by that when you went out or had you been kind of primed by a family member or friends? What was your, what was your prep time like? And when you got going, did that meet your expectations? Was it, were there surprises? Um, What was that like? You know, Daryl, it's such a good question. I think I would say that, you know, I've I've had an amazing lot, like this past year has been amazing. Um, And I I really attribute most of that success to, um, you know, one, believing in yourself, right? Because not every moment is easy. And, you know, yes, the first 20 times you read a PL sheet, it's not so straightforward. But number 21 is going to be like, you know, smooth sailing. Um, But really, it's the people that you surround yourself with that I think makes the day-to-day not only meaningful, but also supportive. And, um, you know, I'm a big believer in, um, creating that team around you that, you know, you spend as much time at work as you do at home with your family often. And so the, that sort of success, you know, is really, it's not just, you know, my success, it's really because of the team, um, you know, whether it's my technicians, my front desk, and just everybody kind of believing in, in one mission. Um, but to, you know, this, I would say that, you know, when you ask about like, you know, what was my learning curve? What was I primed for it? Really, you know, after being in practice for 10 years, you know, you pick up a lot of things along the way. First of all, if you're, you know, if you choose to have your eyes open <laughs> to these things, when somebody else is sort of running a business for you. So I feel like I had a good basic understanding, but I've continued to be successful because, you know, the billing person I hired is super amazing and will will steer me clear out of, you know, anything that, you know, I might not know about a rule or regulation. And, you know, there's so many resources. You don't have to have everything in house these days. You can, you know, outsource a lot of these things. And, and I, I think that the, the ease of access to all those things sort of decreases some of that learning curve, right? I don't have to be the number one expert in everything. I would like to be, and I, I, you know, I strive to be, but I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not the best at. And so, you know, I I filled in those gaps with, with experts. Um, But the other sort of, you know, like, what did I do to prepare? Um, I, I think more than anything else, you just have to set your expectations. Really. I mean, because if you're going to go home and worry about things every night and if you're going to, you know, like, yes, it's your new business, it's your baby. But, you know, I feel like my priming, so to speak, was to level set, you know, here's 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 where I want to be at this time point. And here here's my roadmap of, you know, what's reasonable in terms of growth. And so those are the things that I maybe spent time on and maybe helping to figure out some of the logistics of, okay, going to do billing, (laughs) who's going to do the telephones, you know, and things like that. So I think in 2021, 2022, you know, the amount of priming, so to speak, you know, really can be less than maybe, you know, when you started your 2.0 practice and, you know, maybe there wasn't a phone, a phone, a biller and phone, a, (laughs) uh, another person, but, um, I do feel fortunate to have, you know, those other resources. What would you say was like, maybe like your, your most important 
hire, one or two or three hires um, for someone who's looking to make the jump? Like, who do they need to start researching? Like, who they want to hire? Yeah, you have to have a very strong technician, like somebody that that like isn't just learning how to refract. Like, it has to be somebody because often I find that the the technicians that have been like in the business for a while, they they know the clinical, they know how to triage patient questions. They can deliver that customer service to the patient, you know, um, at their, an extension of your practice, but they also kind of need to understand some insurance. Like, so maybe the next, you know, key number one and one, you know, one and one a would be a really good front desk person that has insurance experience. And, and maybe it's, you know, between the two of them, they can figure it all out, but that's critical because I, I think the the biggest, you know, rudest awakening is really insurances and, you know, the time it takes to get on these plans, the loopholes, the, the loopholes, uh, you know, the, the, the hurdles we have to go through year to year to stay, you know, in compliance and to understand how their roles are changing, I think is exhausting. And, you know, it sort of, unfortunately is a here to stay aspect of our current healthcare market. And so um, that's something that, you know, you as a clinician, you can't, you can't be doing all those things. So, um, that those would be my first couple of hires. Yeah. Daryl saying he can't either. <laughs> so we've got a couple minutes left. Let's wrap this up with a call to action. All right, Blake, one minute you're coming out of your residency. You should go into private practice in a big group. Go. I think you should go into private practice because you can be anything that you want to be in that thing. Um, you know, one of the one of the things about academics that I that, that I think would be cool is the opportunity to work with fellows and, and train the next generation. Well, guess what? In private practice, you can do that. Uh, there's a lot of private practice fellowships uh, around the country. I actually was in one uh, with with my own dad. Uh, research is cool too. They, they they have those at research institutions, don't they? Well, guess what? They have those in private practices too. Turns out, if you do a lot of cases, you can do these IITs and other 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 uh, studies that you can work with different uh, uh, different spe- different uh, technology companies and drug companies, whatever you want to do. But the most important thing is just the autonomy, uh, being able to differentiate yourself, market yourself, uh, grow your practice without having to ask this person and that person and go through. Uh, all the red tape that you that that you normally have to do at some institutions, not all institutions, but some institutions. Um, so for me, um, it's been the only way to go. I'm completely biased, of course, um, but uh, but I'm excited to hear y'all's answers. All right, Priya, one minute. You're either coming out of fellowship, coming out of academia, you're coming out of your residency program. You should go into solo private practice because go. I think you should go into solo private practice because you have the utmost autonomy and responsibility all in the same breath. Um, And I think that for those that want to rise to the challenge and um, want to expand their horizons on learning not only, you know, how to practice their clinical medicine at the highest level, but also, you know, it's to me, it's a learning and growth opportunity to have um, truly the full control to make your practice, what you want it to be. Um, and I have to agree with Blake, the modern private practice, whether it's a solo practitioner or a large group practice can truly be academic. You can be involved in clinical trials. You can have a fellow if you'd like, um, you know, there are no shortage of people that are willing to learn and wanting to train. And if you, um, I think are a kind, caring and generous person with your time and your knowledge, you know, you can make any 
private practice and academic private practice. And so I think that, you know, you can be that um, unicorn <laughs> if you choose to be. Maria, what should, what should we ask Daryl? We, we have, we have oh, yeah, one. we got to ask Daryl something. What, what do you, you, you ask him, you ask him, what do you think, Priya? What do you think? What do you want to ask him? Daryl, you have been in two private practices. I would like you to name, regardless of which type of practice, you know, both of your environments, what has been the hardest part about being in practice on your own? Cause you know, so far we've only painted roses, you know, as far as I can tell, what is the hardest part about being you know, alone or in, in private practice in general, it's your choice. The hardest part about being in any practice, especially private practice, is creating the culture that will allow you to thrive. If you don't create the culture, a culture will be created, a culture will come in. It just may not be the culture that you want. My question to myself was going to be, why should you stay in private practice? It's all kinds of money floating around. There are private equity companies that are circling. They're circling little practices like yours and mine, Priya. There's definitely circling big behemoths like Blake's practice. Why should you stay in private practice? A really good friend of all of ours said to me one day when they were talking about their second or their third bite of the apple, and someone at the table asked me, well, you're 62 years old, Daryl. Why haven't you sold to private private equity? And uh, this doctor we all know said, you know, There's only one culture in a private equity practice. Daryl, your practice and other folks like Vance's practice are known for the culture that they've created. I'm here to tell you that there's only going to be one culture and it's not going to be yours. So the biggest challenge for me was creating the culture, not letting the culture be something that just happened on its own, because then you might get something that you really don't like. And if you've created a culture that allows you to thrive, that allows you to do all the things that the two of you have talked about, that allows you to express yourself, have confidence in yourself, build your own niche in a big setting where you can get buried and not allow that to happen. Once you've done that, it might not be invaluable, but it's incredibly incredibly valuable and something that should be cherished and something that can keep you in private practice, perhaps for the rest of your career. I can honestly say at the end of the day, if I just literally drop the keys on the desk and the end of the, and, you know, uh, figuratively like the, the wrestlers leave their sneakers in the middle of the mat. You know, if I, if I leave my clogs in the middle of the floor and I walk off, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be totally, totally content. Don't get me wrong. I'd like a little bite of that private equity pie. Who wouldn't? But the culture and the creation of the culture is both the most important thing and the most difficult thing. And once achieving the culture that you really, really desired, it's a, it, it, there just can't be a better way to practice any kind of medicine, especially ophthalmology. Beautiful. What a great way to, 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 to end uh, uh, this podcast. And I hope that uh, we get some people fired up to go into uh, private practice. Priya, we got to thank you. I know how busy and slammed you are. You're amazing for hopping on with us. Uh, for this half hour to uh, talk about your journey, what's been going on, and everybody's rooting for you. Uh, not that you need it, uh, you're already kicking ass. So uh, thank you for doing what you do. Daryl, you're the man. I'm looking forward to our next uh, couple of episodes together. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid.
Thank you to Priya for joining Daryl and I for this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Until next time, this has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid.